R&R trains, coaches, and mentors women, empowering them to overcome personal and professional challenges and enabling them to revitalize and rise. You are now listening to R&R Sheroes, conversations with inspirational and sheroic female role models who are creating a difference. To hear these motivational conversations, subscribe to RevitalizeAndRise.com. Hello and a very, very warm welcome to yet another episode of R&R Shiro and I'm very excited today because we have another very wonderful, inspirational, Shiroic female role model with us and her name is Sharon Inkotaria. The Power of Staff Networks is founded by Sharon Inkotaria. Sharon is a former civil servant and has undertaken leadership roles in various policy and strategic positions across Whitehall, including working with ministers and permanent secretaries. She is passionate about staff networks and the positive impact these can have on the individual and the organization. An accomplished chair of a number of staff networks, one to award-winning status, Sharon has facilitated bespoke training to educate employees on the benefits of proactive development. During her career, she has achieved a postgraduate diploma in human resource management and a master's in employment studies in human resource management. She qualified in HR with a Chartered Institute of Personal Development, CIPD, and is also a qualified career coach with the Institute of Leadership and Management. In 2011, Sharon received an MBE for her services to HM government and also for her work in the faith community with young people. So let's welcome her. Hello, Sharon. How are you today? I'm very well here. Uh, thank you for having me on, on, on this wonderful uh, broadcast of yours. I'm really excited. You're most welcome. We're really excited to have you. And I already know how impressive your profile is, but I was just reading through it again. And I was like, oh, my God, you've done so much. This is so impressive. And you're also recipient of MBE. How cool is that? Um, so, yeah, the MBE, the, which is um, a member of the Order of the British Empire, um, I received that in 2011. And I was truly surprised. I was really shocked and, and quite humbled, actually. But it was given to me for my services to... Uh, Her Majesty's government, because I used to be a civil servant, but also, and this is the bit that really warms my heart, it was for my work that I've done um, in a local London borough with some young people uh, in, in, in the faith community in my church. So I would work with some young people and just to help them think about their choices in life and so on. Um, and they, it was great. I really enjoyed it. So the fact that that was attached to the MBE is really, I felt really honoured by that. Oh, that's amazing, Sharon. I think that's absolutely wonderful. So tell me about your role as a civil servant. What, what did you do, if it's not too confidential? No, well, yeah, it's, um, I did weird and wonderful things in government. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I worked on a number of things. So, for example, I worked on policy relating to the charity and voluntary sector. I worked with uh, ministers, secretaries of state on various policy areas, um, I did project management. It's, it's, really, it's really difficult to say the particular things that you did because we do, we do so many things. And as, as the government changes, we have to be flexible and, and serve the government of the day. Um, but uh, yes, I've worked in, I worked as a HR manager uh, for uh, an agency in, in government. So I, I did that for a number of years. So um, I also worked on ministerial events um, for the Deputy Prime Minister at the time. Um, worked with uh, ministers in parliament, cross government to a number 10. So a, a broad range of things I did. I was there for a very long time and I thoroughly enjoyed my time in the civil service. Um, 
but there came a time when I had to make a decision. I realized that as much as I loved the civil service and I loved serving the, the public, um, I wasn't receiving the same amount of love from my employer, shall we say. <laughs> and, you know, they weren't recognizing my gifts, my talents, by not, they weren't promoting me. And I made a really difficult decision to think about hard what I want to do. And so in 2012, I made the decision to leave and follow my passion, which is still working with the community, but also empowering groups of people in organizations to take control of their careers and be an influential voice of change for their target group. So that's really how I got to the place where I am now. <laughs> this is amazing, Sharon. So first of all, I would like to say you are so influential. So you actually worked with the Deputy Prime Minister. That is amazing. And that's, <laughs> that's wonderful. And on top of that, you also had the courage to walk away from something which you really liked and enjoyed doing um, and pursue your passion. And I think that is a very, very brave and bold step. Yeah, it, at the time, it was a difficult decision. But looking back, I can see that it was the best thing that I've, I ever did for me. Um, so, and I appreciate that not everyone can just walk away from their job. And, but I do think that we can make a decision to, to start to change how we want our careers to go. And so I was able to walk away and do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, Sharon. That's so inspiring. And I think that's one of the traits of R&R Shiro's that they have the courage to actually do something different and daring and risky because obviously it is risky, right? When you're starting your business, you don't know how it will work out. You don't know how it's going to, where it's going to take you. And then starting your own business and pursuing a passion and leaving a stable job primarily means that you have to leave, of course, a consistent income behind it, which is the main charm of, of having like a stable job rather than doing your own business. So it Absolutely. is Really yeah. very daunting so I'm that's pretty impressive so tell me something more about um how you wanted to be the influential whites for different groups why I wanted to be influential I didn't catch the last bit sorry yeah so how and why how did that come about and why you wanted well it came about because mm -hmm. while I was in the service um I was always involved in um network groups and right. I the reason why I got involved is because I could see that for some people, when they weren't being promoted or getting the progression they wanted, it can be very frustrating. It can be very um, isolating. And I saw that when people came together to support each other and share stories, but also um, to try and articulate some of those challenges to senior managers to bring change, it was such a powerful thing that happened. You know, I saw people just blossom just by the mere fact that someone was listening to them and encouraging them and also challenging them to think about how are you going to make this change, you know, because some of it has to come to the individual as well. They have to take responsibility and decide that they're going to do something different. So when, when I was involved in the network, I, I saw the power that we were generating through our individual members as well as in the organization. And, and that is why I think staff networks, employee networks, are a powerful resource in the organization. And so... Fantastic, Sharon. And for the benefit of the audience, because I, I know I've met you a couple of times and I know what it is, but uh, to explain people more, can you explain what exactly is... I know you just did, but just like, you know, how it starts, what is the criteria, who, who kind of leads these staff network groups? Um, uh, is, there, is there a common characteristic combining the people together or joining the people together? So basically, I think the audience would really benefit from that. 
Okay, so yeah, I know when people hear staff networks or employee networks, they, they think, what on earth is that? They can make a guess. But in a nutshell, um, networks are formed by people who share an affinity. So, for example, women. Okay, so if they're in an organization and the organization, because of its culture, systems, procedures, has a tendency to favor the male gender um, as opposed to women, um, then it's, that's something that they come together and say, look, I'm experiencing this. Is anyone else experiencing the same thing? And, and, and talk about the issues that they're facing, the challenges and the barriers that they're facing. And, 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 I, and I, it's not just about talking and supporting each other. It's about, okay, how can we coalesce and bring a change? How can we change this culture? You know, so they think about, okay, we can put on events, we can, we can challenge policy, we can challenge decisions in a way that's helpful to the organization. So the business case is, look, if you want this organization to thrive and to be prosperous and to have the best talent, you need to address some of the issues facing particular groups. So it could be people with disabilities, it could be people from an ethnic minority background, people with um, a particular sexual orientation, or, or whatever the group is, whoever, whoever deems themselves to be a minority group facing particular challenges can form together and become a staff network. I just got so excited because I'm writing an article for Forbes, hopefully. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if, if, if it doesn't go in Forbes, it'll probably go in Huffington Post. But I'm writing an article of you know, strategies to lead and succeed as a minority um, and I think I'd, I'd definitely love to quote you. And this is one of the great ways to actually, you know, overcoming challenges, personal, professional challenges when you belong to a certain minority. I think this is a fantastic step. So, um, and then I'm sorry, you were saying that who, who starts it then? It starts with, it, it, it really starts with, you know, a, a, some people who say, we are experiencing this, you know, and, and does anyone else agree? Are you, are you experiencing this? So it starts quite organically. And in terms of who can start it, anyone can start a staff network when they see the need. It doesn't mean that they are the person that's going to lead that network, if you understand. Because leading a staff network is a leadership role. So you have to have certain qualities, certain competencies to lead it effectively. And it's great to have the passion, but we passion is not sufficient to lead a network. need passion but you also need to be rational you also need to be strategic you know you need to be analytical because we need to study the evidence to support this anecdotal evidence that we have so um, anyone can start a staff network but I always say your foundation has to be solid there has to be a reason for the network there has to be a purpose so I challenge networks to think about okay you want to start a staff network, why? What is the exam question? How would the organization look and feel like as a result of this group of people coming together and challenging the, the status quo or the systems? Do you see what I mean? So it's important yeah. for them to think about how can we build a solid foundation? Because any group of people that try to bring change in this massive organization will encounter some turbulence. People yeah. won't understand People will think they're moaning. People will think they're ungrateful. They just won't get it. They just think they should just be quiet and get on with their day job. But with staff networks, they're saying, I want to get on with my day job, but I cannot get on with it if my manager is treating me in a way that prevents me from bringing my best self to work. So it's important for them to think about how can we ensure that what we do expresses sufficiently 
how we feel. And if they fail to address this, it's going to directly impact the bottom line. So I'm trying to get networks to think a little bit more strategically to raise the bar and be more than a supportive group because they can do so much. So I encourage them to think about being an employee voice, a mechanism of employee voice. I think about, I encourage them to think about how they can be innovative. Yeah, this is a really powerful concept. I think this is so, so helpful for a particular group of people who are facing challenges, um, you know, into company policies or maybe the boss or, you know, generally the perceptions of people. So I think this is, this is really nice. And how, okay, so maybe my knowledge is limited, but is it something similar to a union or is, or is, it, is it different? Well, okay, so most people make that association because that's, that's the closest thing they can think of. Right. And the only similarity it has with the union is that it's, it's almost trying to forge a road for justice. Right. Um, but it's, it's, I, I, the networks are different from unions because unions have a, they are protected by certain rights and regulations and so on, whereas networks aren't. They're, they are employees who are doing this in their own time in addition to their other work priorities. In terms of... of, of they can have a relationship with the union. In fact, I encourage them to speak to the union. I emphasize the importance of not trying to emulate a union. A union has a very specific role. Work has a separate role to that. So, mm. you know. Uh, I think unions are much more formal, maybe. I would say that it has a more formal structure. And I think it can be a bit intimidating for the HR people. I remember when I was a young girl and my father was an HR director and I remember and he worked for Starwoods Hotel and um, there used to be these union strikes and union demand. This one, the one, the concept which you were talking about, Staff Network, sounds more facilitating, more enabling, more supportive. Absolutely. Those are, that's the, you've chosen the right word to describe a network. They are almost there to empower each other. Um, and equally important, they are there to be almost a critical friend to the organization and say, look, we care about this organization so much so that we want to share with you some of the challenges or some of the things that you have overlooked when you're creating policy and making decisions. So when you're recruiting, you know, you know, we know that managers have a tendency to recruit in their own likeness, even though somebody who doesn't look anything like them could be the best person for the job but because they aren't on the radar or they don't perceive them as being um, oven ready to take that job they're just not even given that consideration so it's about articulating some of those very delicate but also very real issues that are taking place in, in the organization because if you think about the amount of time we spend at work we, we want to spend our time at work effectively diligently we want to be recognized when we do good work Right. And if year after year you're working hard and, and, you know, you're studying and you're getting that qualification and you're still not being promoted or recognized, it has an adverse impact on the individual to the extent where it could affect their mental health as well as their physical health. So right. we're saying that as a preventative measure, let's talk about that and let's raise that issue so that we can prevent uh, people leaving. We can prevent absenteeism, presenteeism all of those real things that have a profit loss for organizations. So it's, it's, it's really about understanding that this is about your workforce, the most important commodity an organization has. Um, so I think networks play a crucial role in helping that. Definitely. This is brilliant. So I'm a little bit curious about two things. A, 
how does the organization feel about it? Is there any um, resistance from them or do they, do they appreciate the idea of a staff network or do they initially try and discourage it? Um, and two, uh, how common is, is this concept now here in UK particularly? Okay, so the first one about networks reception. I think many CEOs and senior managers, they, they do understand it. Um, or they understand the principles behind it. Of course, it looks good for them to have these different groups of people. Uh, you know, it looks good on their diversity portfolio. It looks good on their inclusion page on their website. Um, but I say to them, having the rhetoric is insufficient. Yeah, you need to really back that up with investment and commitment to your network. So right. for those, I think no one would say, oh, I'm totally against this. <laughs> I hope they don't say that. Um, but what they fail to do is back up their, their, mm. verbal, their verbal commitments. They need to really think about, okay, how can we make the most? How can we get the best out of this group of people? That's the answer to the first question. The second one is, it is, quite, it is very common. It's, a, it's, a, it's more common in the UK than people realize. And um, it, it's, what's different, though, is how networks are supported and how effective they are that varies in organizations so for example in the private sector where they have networks they understand that we only having these networks because we understand how they can impact the bottom line right and in the public sector they it's more of a moral case we get that we need to do this but they fail to actually back that up with proper investment or uh, building the capacity so there's both both sectors can learn from each other um uh so yeah so one thing i am looking to do to answer that question as well is to undertake a huge uk-wide network census just to find out where they are and who does what and how they do it so that we can learn from different sectors and different groups of people yeah no, this is really good. This is so powerful because really you're creating a huge impact in the lives of people who ordinarily would have not felt, um, you know, noticed or heard or who are facing issues but don't know where to go. So I think this provides a very, very powerful network or platform for where they can actually um, raise their concerns and, and get their opinions heard. So this is brilliant, Sharon. And, and what's the way forward? How do you see it in the next few I, years? In the next few years, well, uh, if I go back a few, um, I, as you know, I wrote a book called The Incredible Power of Staff Networks. And the reason yes. why I wrote that is because when I was leading a network, I would often say, is there a book that someone has written that I could read? Because yeah. I, I was so conscious that I was making a mistake or I felt the gender was so precious that I couldn't afford to mess it up. But there wasn't anything. So I wrote the book as a tool to help people who are thinking about networks or who are running networks to ask some of those difficult questions about their network but it was also to say to managers this is why they exist and this is how they can help you so I think since that book has come out I I have seen or I've certainly been more aware of of networks coming to the fore and being a bit more bolder in in some of the things that they are doing and I'm really encouraged by that and this year we launched the first ever national day for staff networks wow yeah, that's really about um, helping networks across the UK come together as a community and saying the work that we do, how we support members, how we um, articulate the barriers and challenges, how we are innovating in things that we're doing. We are doing all of these things and we are making work better 
for hundreds of thousands of people. And so we need to celebrate that. Yeah, so one aspect of the day is about celebrating and acknowledging the contribution and the added value of networks. The mm -hmm. other arm is about inspiring each other about some of the stories. So for next year, we're encouraging people to share their story because we know that when people share story, it breaks down myths, it busts myths, and it, 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 it shakes mis you know, some conceptions that people may have of certain groups. So we're asking people to share their story. But the third aspect of the National Day, and for me, this is, this is the arm that carries the most weight, it's about transforming the discourse about how organizations perceive networks and some of the issues that the networks are raising. So, the, uh, so it's about celebrate, inspire, transform, um, and it's coming together as a community under this canopy of unity and saying, when we, when we join arms, when we link together, um, we are making work better. So I see that yes. moving forward and really just raising the bar about how networks can operate in this country. So one last question I want to ask you is that how exactly do you finance these, these networks? Who's responsible for um, financing the project? Okay, so I, I don't finance them. Because they are employees in the organization, um, they, are, they should have some sort of budget from the organization itself. Um, it's a bit of a contentious issue because uh, many of the employers um, are expecting networks to del deliver lots of projects and work um, with very, very small budgets. And so one of the things I encourage networks to do is to think about how they can present a business case where some of the things they can do is done frugaling and other things are done with a little bit of investment. Um, so that's what I'm encouraging them to do. So uh, it, it, it's, there's no hard and fast rules. Um, some are funded very well, some aren't. So I'm trying to help all networks get that balance. So at least they've got some financial backing to do some of the things they want to do, like if they want to run a course, or bring in a guest speaker that's going to motivate them, or, or just something that's innovative but is going to help their target group progress. So it's up to the organisation to provide some sort of investment financially. Okay, good, good. So is there anything uh, that you want to add or share with the audience um, on how to start these network groups and what they can do about it if they're interested in starting one? Well, if they're interested in starting a staff network, an employee network, um, they can, well, the best thing I would suggest is A, purchase a copy of the book, The Incredible Power of Staff Networks. It's on my website or it's on Amazon. Um, B, there's an online course that helps people walk through six steps um, of starting a staff network. And C, I would suggest that they... Um, check my website, which is www.thepowerofstaffnetworks.co.uk and just help themselves to uh, lots of resources that are there. Many of them are free resources. Some you have to just pay a small fee, but they, it's worth the investment. And yeah, but the key thing for me is to think about the purpose. Yeah, why do they want to start the staff network and what would the organisation look and feel like as a result of their work? I always, that's the basic for me, so... Yeah, and of course, if they're already involved in the staff network, they should certainly sign up to uh, the National Day campaign and get involved. And if they are an organisation that wants to just sponsor any of the things that we're doing, 
they should certainly get in touch with me via the website. Um, so yeah. So whoever, whoever's listening, just remember you can tap into your power and make a difference. So yeah. Woohoo! Woohoo! That's really inspiring. This is perfect. This is really good. And I think this is even for me. This was really new and. Um, a very powerful concept. I mean, I've heard of unions and I did hear of staff networks, but um, I think uh, how you explained it today really made a difference. And I feel this Good. is such a powerful concept and I think people would really benefit from it. So they can directly contact you also if they want to do anything through your website. Is- yeah, of course. This way, you know, I'm all over social media. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're, we're there everywhere. We're trying to try and make sure we can reach out as many people as possible. And one thing I will say is when people are looking at this, in the United States, they don't actually call these staff networks or employee networks. They call them employee resource groups. Okay, so ERG. Yes, I've heard that. Yes, right. Yes. So it's the same principle, but in the States, they're much more uh, structured and organized and they invest in their ERGs and they just look at them slightly differently. So they look right. at them as a mechanism as helping the organization progress. And we have elements of that here, but I'm trying to get all organizations and all staff networks to just get to that level where they can make the the most impact. Yes, I do remember reading about it. And I distinctly Mm -hmm. remember now because when I was doing my professional human resources certification from through the SHRM Society and HHRCI institution, that's when I read about it. Um, Great. So I think, yeah, now people, perhaps people from the U.S. would would understand more more and relate to it better now now that they know. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought I wanted to make that clear because I know some people said staff networks, but when you explain the concept and share what the different names are, for them and right. say, ah, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have like a lot of women groups, or like a, a lot of women staff network groups that you're supporting? Yes, of course. There, <clears throat> there's lots of um, women groups, or now they're called gender networks. Okay. Um, but yes, they're, they're, there are lots of them all over the country. Things, yeah. And what are the challenges that you help them with, particularly the gender groups? It depends. So if they're just starting up, it's about focusing or, you know, just being clear about what they're focusing on. Because when you talk about issues that are affecting women, it could go, it's so broad. So I help them think about what are the pertinent issues, <coughs> excuse me, for that particular organization. And it could be that they've got a lot of women who are returning from maternity leave or finding it very difficult to navigate or get back on track with their career. It could be that people want to be more flexible in their working patterns. It could be that women are just hitting that glass ceiling and they're not even being considered for the most senior roles, even though they're the most qualified. So it really does depend on the type of issue that is affecting women in that particular organisation. So there's no hard and fast rules here. It, It just, it does depend. For me, it's about asking the right questions and sharing my advice and experience to help them get on track or, you know, propel them a bit, bit forward. Okay, great. So this was wonderful, Sharon. Thank you so much. Um, It was wonderful having you today. And is there anything you would like to add before going? No, I just really enjoyed it. And I appreciate the opportunity. And um, yeah, you know, um, I wish you all the best with with everything you're doing. I I think what you're you're striving to do is, is a great thing. And let me know how I can support you in that. I'd be happy to. Definitely, Sharon. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
R&R trains, coaches, and mentors women, empowering them to overcome personal and professional challenges and enabling them to revitalize and rise. You're now listening to R&R Sheroes, conversations with inspirational and sheroic female role models who are creating a difference. To hear these motivational conversations, subscribe to RevitalizeAndRise.com.